Can you remember, maybe when you were eight years old, what you wanted to be when you grew up in life? I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. Don't encourage your kids to be politicians, please, whatever you do. I want to be the president. I, I don't know. I, I, I want to be Ken. I want to be Barbie. I was walking in the toy aisle just a couple of weeks ago because it was my oldest granddaughter's birthday looking at toys. Have you noticed that Barbie has gained some weight? <laughs> she actually looks normal now, okay? Wow. Folks, when you and I were young, growing up in the healthy families that we grew up in, we wanted to become something. And God says, the first step is that you must be loved. You must receive. The second step is that you must belong. But the third step is that you must become. Take a look at Romans chapter 8, 28 and 29. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. Will you write this down? My third calling in life is to become like Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you will become a mini God. There are some cults out there that promote this. This is not what Paul is saying at all. He's saying he wants you to have godly characteristics. He wants you to become godly, like father, like son. He wants you to have some family characteristics, which raises the question, what might that be? Well, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those qualities actually are a picture of Jesus. And if you're going to become like Jesus, you need to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Now, it's interesting. Several weeks ago, I did a, a message on skills about how when to move slowly and when to move fast. Today, what I want to do is I really want to talk about running the race of life that God has for us. Not a sprint but a marathon. You see, if you look at your life and you look at my life and becoming all that God wants us to be as men and women of God, it isn't a sprint, meaning that it's not just a one-time thing. It's not, it doesn't happen through a transaction, through one class or one event. No, it is a marathon. And, as a, and because of that, it's it's, it's the marathon race that does the transforming work of God in our life. Now, you may not realize this, but you right now are in that race. You are in a marathon race. And your goal should be to become the man or woman that God has intended for you to be. True, the Bible talks about walking the walk of the Christian life, but it also talks about running the race of life and finishing the course. And so today I want us to take a look at becoming what God has intended for you and I to become in light of the race that he has for us. I wanna compare becoming who God wants you to be to this race out of several different passages. And from those passages draw out eight principles. 
This is about you getting to where God wants you to be. You see, when you come into the family, he doesn't want you to stay in spiritual diapers. Every time I go to a wedding and I see this couple going down the aisle, in fact, a lot of times I'm doing the wedding, I think, you know what? Kids grow up, don't they? They, they, they mature. But I oftentimes wonder at the same time if I could just take a spiritual x-ray of their life, would they have spiritual diapers on? God doesn't want you and I to stay as spiritual babies. He wants you and I to grow up to be the men and women of God that he's always attended for us to be being like Christ. My question is this, how do you and I do this? Several passages, eight principles. First one is this, simplify my life. I must simplify my life. I've got to cut out and I've got to clean out the stuff that is holding me back from becoming all that God has intended for me to be. I need to clean out my mind. I've got to clean up my relationships and I've got to clarify my schedules. If you run your, uh, the, the race of life, you've got to strip down to the basics. When I watch the Olympics and I see these marathon runners that run, I don't know, 26.2 miles, folks, they're in their skivvies, aren't they? I mean, they, 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 they barely have a stitch of clothing on them. The very first passage we're going to look at out of Hebrews 12 talks about this metaphor. Take a look in Hebrews 12.1. Let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back. And especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up. And let us run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. Well, you circled the word anything. That word in the Greek is oikos. It means weight. It means something bulky. When you see and watch marathon runners, folks, they don't have this big Eskimo parka on them, okay? No, no they, they shed that kind of stuff and they get down to, the, the, to their skivvies, okay? And why do they do that? Because they're running a particular race. God has a particular race for you. Will you circle this phrase, or circle that phrase, particular race? What does that mean? It means that you can't run your mom's race, or your dad's race, or your boyfriend's race, or your girlfriend's race. No, you've got to run your race. You, and by the way, you can't run someone else's race. They've got to run their own race. And God has a particular race for you to run. Now, the challenge, though, is this. God does love you. And everybody else has a plan for your life, right? <laughs> Mom's got a plan for your life. Dad's got a plan for your life. Your brothers and sisters have a plan for your life. And so you've got to decide whose race you're going to run. Are you going to run your own race? Are you going to run somebody else's race? Or are you going to run the race that God has created you to run? You can't run all three races. I can't do God's plan for my life and my plan for my life. I can't do your plan for my life and God's plan for my life. And so the starting point in, in becoming the man or woman that God wants you to be is that you've got to decide which race you're going to run. Get it? Good? Honestly, give this away. Because there are 
lawnmower parents. You know what I'm talking about? They're out ahead of their kids mowing everything down so that they can run, their kids can run the, the parents' race. God has a particular race for you and you can't run someone else's race. Now, I think it's pretty obvious that God wants us to run his race, the race that he has created for us to run. And in order for that to happen, we've got to start with God and we've got to say, God, I want to clear up and I want to clean out the hurts, the habits and the hangups that are holding me back from becoming all that you want me to be. I must simplify my life. The second principle that we see out of this same passage is this, don't get impatient or in a hurry. You see, the race, the particular race that God has for you is going to take your entire life. It's not gonna be done in one week or one month or, 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 or one year or 10 years. It's not transactional. It's not one and done. No, it is transformational over a period of time. And God has a lifetime plan for you. Now, I don't know about you. My guess is it's true. Your story is similar to mine, that when I first became a Christian, bam, everything was new and I was skyrocketing up like this, okay? I mean, I was growing fast and quickly, much like a newborn baby. The first year of a baby's life, do you realize that they double their weight in their first year? Now, we'd all look a little weird if that continued every day of our life, wouldn't we? we, we this place would be full, okay? <laughs> For a different reason. No, physically, yeah, we start off and bam, skyrocket. But then things slow down. The same is true spiritually. Your growth is stable and secure and steady over a period of time. God is not in a hurry in developing you for your particular race, doing it all at once. You may be, God, I just wish, or I wish I could just become instantaneous Jesus Christ, so to speak. Folks, when God wants to grow a mushroom, he takes six hours. When God wants to grow an oak tree, he takes 60 years. What do you want to be? Do you want to be a mushroom that's here today and gone tomorrow? Or do you want to be an oak tree? I want to be an oak tree. I want my roots to go down deep. I want to be strong and stable and secure so that when the winds of change happen, and they do happen in our culture, it's about every three years as I read the stuff, I mean, there's just different movements that are happening that can blow us and toss us here and there. Now, as a pastor, I can tell you this. I can help you become the man or woman that God has intended for you to be. I can do that. But I can't do it for you quickly. God isn't into a transaction. Just come to this one class. No, he is into transformation. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let us run. Notice we're running, but notice the attitude. Let us run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. That's why each week as a life development pastor who emphasizes the personal, practical, and the positive, I give you little baby steps. I love the theology of what about Bob? Baby steps, Bob, baby steps. Because here's what happens. 
as you take baby steps in becoming the man or woman that God has intended for you to be, over a period of time, you will look back and you will say, wow, look, I've grown. Yeah, that's how it works. As you take these baby steps in your marriages, you'll look back over several years, wow, we're not the same couple that we used to be. As you do this with your families, wow, we're not the same family that we used to be. The third principle in running the race of life that God has for us is I must spend time focusing on Jesus every day. I must spend time focusing on Jesus every day, a little bit every day, every five, 10, 15 minutes a day. Now, why is this so important? Why is it important that you and I focus our minds and our thoughts on Jesus? Because whatever you want to become, you need to think about. If you want to become like Jesus, you need to think about Jesus. Because whatever you think about and whatever you focus on, that is what you become. We've all heard the saying, have we not? You can't soar with the eagles if you're strutting around with the turkeys all the time. Because the turkeys will bring you down, dooby doo, down, down. But if you think and focus on Jesus... He'll bring you up. A tool that we have in helping in this area, kind of throughout the week, is uh, Right Now Media. It is the Christian Netflix, okay, uh, of, of Christianity. You have a flyer in your bulletin. I would encourage you to take a look at it. There are couples that, that, go, that use this, okay, when they're kind of going through a rough patch or whatever, just building their marriage. Uh, they, there's family stuff. There's personal stuff. There's single stuff on there. There's all kinds. There's, I think there's over 100,000 different videos that are, are, are there for you. And we as a church have bought a subscription. And so I want to encourage you to, to take advantage of that. Now, this habit of spending time focusing on Jesus, I want to say this. I guarantee you, if you will do this, if you will build this habit in your life, you will begin to hear God's call on your life. I guarantee it. God's wanting to talk to you about the purpose for which He created you far more than what you want, what, far more than, than you want. He wants you to understand what it is. Because when you get in that zone and you know you're doing what God has created you to do, his particular race for you, you're going to be fruitful and you're going to be fulfilled. It's going to be a rush beyond your wildest imaginations. Now, the reason why we don't do this is because we don't slow ourselves down enough as we're running the race of life to hear God's call on our life. I have in my office this jar. Generally, the water's pretty clear. It's been there for about five years. I wouldn't drink this water. But down at the bottom is sand, millions of particles of sand that we give ourselves to, chasing here and chasing there. And as we chase here and chase there, these different particles, aspects of our life, we're asking God, God, what is your call on my life? What is the purpose for which you have created me? Why have you let this thing into my life? What are you wanting to do in this situation? But we never slow down. And so as a result, the water stays really cloudy. 
And it's only as we stop and still ourselves that things become clear. And we begin to hear God's voice. And we begin to understand the call that he has on our life. And I guarantee you this, when God calls you, you will be thrilled. When God speaks, it's called inspiration, folks. When the devil speaks, it's called temptation. When you speak to yourself and you answer, it's called insanity. <laughs> Take a look at this, Hebrews 12, 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. You can't become like Jesus until you spend time with him. And the more time you spend with him in, in reading and studying and praying, people ask, Pastor George, where do you get all this stuff? I do it at McDonald's. I do it in my home. I do it at the mall. Just quieting myself down. Focusing on Jesus. And he speaks. And as you and I do that, we will take on the fruit of the Spirit. It will change our lives. Moses did this. God called him up to Mount Sinai and he was up there for almost two months. When he got back, folks, he was physically changed. His face was glowing so much that the people of God during his day put a veil over him. Paul refers to this incident, but he says, hey, you got to take the veil off. Well, we want the, this transformation that, that happens through spending daily time with God to, for it to be seen by other people. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. All of us have had that veil removed so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him and reflect his glory even more. Will you circle a couple of things? Will you circle the phrase more and more? What's he talking about there? Folks, he's talking about the fact that it's sequential, that it's daily, that there is a process, that it's not a transaction. Rather, it's a transformation. It's systematic and daily, and it's a process. All of us, no doubt, would love to take a pill, but that isn't how it works. We don't get a microwave, godly life overnight. It just doesn't happen that way. And, but it happens through daily, consistent time with God, more and more. Circle the phrase, reflect his glory. And the more time you spend, the more you will reflect the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this reflection actually has a biological basis to it. In brain research, they have discovered that you have what is called mirror neurons. Mirror neurons allow you to feel, to empathize, to sympathize with other people. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Have you ever seen someone yawn? And what did you want to do? Yawn. Do you ever say, talk with someone or see someone who is, who is sad and then you felt down, doobie, doo, down, down? You ever been with someone who's really happy and you just had this joy in your heart? Have you ever watched a movie and maybe there's a couple kissing one another and all of a sudden you felt love? Folks, what's occurring here is occurring through mirror neurons that you have in your body. 
When you focus on Jesus, you will reflect Jesus and you will become more and more like him. The fourth thing, in order to finish the race of life, to become the man or woman that God wants you to be, is this. When it gets hard, remember the rewards. Now, if God's goal is to, when you receive his love and you belong in his family, it is to become like Christ, and it is, then he's going to take you through the same things that he allowed his son to go through. Was Jesus ever lonely? Sure he was. Did he ever suffer criticism? Absolutely. Betrayed? Uh Uh-huh. Fatigued? Oh, yeah. Misunderstood? From the very beginning. If God didn't spare his own son those types of things, why in the world do you think he would spare us from those? Well, he won't. God wants to develop your character. And he does that not in a vacuum, but as we run the race of life with all that life throws at us. And when life throws you and I a curveball and we get hit by it, I know our natural question is to ask why. Why is this happening right now? But it's the wrong question. The right question is what? What is it that God is wanting me to learn? Oh, what, what does he want me to learn about himself? What does he want me to learn about myself? What does he want me to learn about other people? What does he want me to learn about the world that I'm, lived, that I'm living in? He wants me to learn. The Bible in Hebrews, later on, he, it says that Jesus learned obedience from the things that he suffered. That's hard for me to fathom. A perfect God, and yet he learned things through those sufferings, and it shaped his life. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 12, 2 and 3. Jesus did not give up because of the cross. That was some trial, wasn't it? On the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting for him, he thought nothing of the disgrace of dying on the cross, and he is now seated at the right side of God's throne. Think of what he went through, how he put up with so much hatred from sinners. So do not let yourselves become discouraged and give up. We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. Don't miss our Christmas tree lighting. It's going to be fantastic. But as I think of Christmas, I think, you know what? Jesus was born to die. And he knew what he was coming for. And he took on those problems. God allows problems into your life and into my life. And it's a part of his plan. But I say this, to get there and to get through them, we need a promise. Take a look at 1 Peter 5.10. After you suffer for a short time, God who gives all grace will make everything right. He will make you strong and support you and keep you from falling. He called you to share in his glory in Christ, a glory that will continue forever. Peter is saying, here's the promise that it will be short term, but there will be long term glory. There are short term problems. They're just for the here and now, but there will be long term glory that will last forever and ever and ever. Life is hard. 
Sometimes, yes, we, we have moments of joy and happiness and celebration. My son came in from out of town, okay? Unannounced, to be honest with you, and that wasn't joyful. It was confusing, okay? If you know David, that's why. It's always confusing with David. But it was a time of celebration. We have those times. But in general, life is hard and challenging. And so what we need is we need a memory verse that gets us through those. And the theme verse is Romans 8, 28. It's our memory verse for this week. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And you remember, when you memorize a verse, you say the address first, then you say it out loud, and then you end with the address because you and I memorize better as we hear more than what we see. The fifth step to the race of life, becoming the man or woman that God wants you to be, is I must gather a team to run with me. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's your race, and you have to run your own race. But it is good to have support and cheerleaders around you. Take a look at this video. Carolina would bring up uh, from time to time uh, joining a small group, and she just felt like uh, God was just nudging her or us uh, to join a group. Uh, well, I, on the other hand, didn't have any interest at all in joining a group. Lindsay had been praying that we would grow closer to other families at the church. One morning when we came, she was approached by another member of the church, and she was excited to do it. She said yes. I was more apprehensive at first about joining. I was looking for a group of people that had young children like my own, and when I visited this group for the first time, it was a perfect fit. We joined Life Group and realized that we had some really good people to rely on during our Tunnel of Chaos. No matter what we did, they were always there for us night and day. Being part of a Life Group has really enriched our lives. We were able to pray for each other, be there for one another, watch our kids grow up in a biblical community. So we truly understand what it is to live in biblical community. We have friends that we could literally call at three o'clock in the morning and they would come and drop anything to help us. Shortly after joining the group, I dealt with numerous family hospitalizations, um, family surgeries, difficult diagnoses for my children, and most recently a divorce. My life group has been there for me without judgment and without hesitation during these difficult times, providing lots of practical things like um, meals and childcare to the important things of listening, sharing similar experiences, and most importantly, praying with and for my family during these difficult moments. This summer, we probably wouldn't have been able to afford a vacation. But our life group uh, all got together and we planned a vacation together to take a trip to Oklahoma, rented a cabin. Uh, we went out to the lake together. All the kids had a great time. It was amazing, something that we wouldn't have experienced otherwise. So Jen and I have always been kind of a couple of hermit crabs, but now we uh, actually host our life group and we really do enjoy it quite a bit. Um, God has really shown us through our life group that we are called to live in biblical community and love on one another and really support each other. Joining a life group has given us ample opportunity to uh, practice Jesus' teachings. All in all, <laughs> I hate to admit this, but you're right, honey. I'm glad we joined a life group. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, uh, wives, you can give your husband, <laughs> see, I told you, okay? We need support, don't we? 
We need encouragement along the, 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 the road of life, the, the race that we're in. As you know, I've been in Cameroon two times, getting ready to go at the end of, uh, or in, end of January. And while I'm there, they have different sayings in, in, in Africa, in Cameroon. One of them that I picked up was this. I thought it was interesting. It says, in, Ameri in America, Americans own watches, but have no time. Africans own no watches, but have plenty of time. I thought, I think that's true. But they have another one. If you want to run fast, run alone. If you want to run far, run with others. You and I need a team. This isn't a sprint. This isn't a 50-yard dash. We're talking about transformation. It doesn't happen instantaneously. No, it happens over the long haul as you have people who run with you. We all know, do we not, people who have burnt out because they have run fast. And today we, we wonder, where in the world are they? They're nowhere to be found. Folks, you and I need a group. Take a look at this verse, Hebrews 10, 20, 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another as you see the day approaching. I don't know, maybe I'm weird, but I like to sit down and I like to reflect on people who have burnt out. And one of the things and conclusions I've come to about that is I think it's driven mostly by fear. People have fears that they don't even realize they have. They think, well, what if I fail? What is that? That's fear. Or what if I can't fulfill that commitment? What is that? That's fear. But when you are beloved by God and you belong, you can become. When you have God and other people supporting you, it gives you courage to continue the race of life because you have other people around you that are praying for you, that are encouraging you, saying, you can do it, you can do it, don't give up, you can do this. And so you and I need to gather a team around us. When you are running the race of life, you need to realize, number six, that God is cheering you at every stage. And for some of you, that is just a shocker right there. Because you think that only God loves you or smiles on you when you do something right. Or that when, when you become spiritually mature or when you have finished the race, only then will God smile at you. But that, folks, that's just not true. It's not true at all. In fact, think of it like this. Nobody shames a baby for not being able to read, right? You give a book to one-year-old, two-year-old, read this book. Oh, you can't read, you stupid baby. You're just stupid. Nobody shames a 10-year-old for not knowing how to program a computer. No, because parents know intuitively what is appropriate for them at every stage. When my, when my grandkids give me things, I have a granddaughter, Layla, that loves to make things. She's got this artistic flair. And she gave me a rear view mirror hang thing. Show the picture. I have that in my truck. Because when I haul around the grandkids, they're, 
They're looking for it, right? When Layla gave me that, I thought, that is perfect. What a great job. Now, when I said that, folks, I wasn't saying it was a Picasso. I was just saying it's perfect for the stage that she's in. God smiles at you at every stage of your development. You may not be smiling. You may be sitting and thinking, why am I not further along? Why can't I get over this hurt or this hang up? And so as a result, you shame yourself. But it's not God. You're projecting that on God and you're thinking that he's doing that with you. No, it's not. How you get over that is when you begin to realize, you know what, I'm, only, I'm human. I make mistakes. On my race of life, guess what? I stumble occasionally. Yeah, you do. It's when you and I own up. I really believe to our humanity that we are flawed, that we have flops, failures, and fumbles. That we begin to see that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. You see, this is critical in your race of life. Because the major reason I believe that you don't become the man or woman that God has intended for you to be isn't because God is ashamed at you, but rather because you are ashamed of yourself. And the way you get over that is just by being real. I say this, your friends already know. <laughs> you got a pink elephant in your life. And God knows, obviously, so why not just own up? Because when you do, you will have more energy to become the person that God wants you to be. Take a look at Philippians 3. Paul does this. Paul, the religious terrorist, the murderer in his day and age, said, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already re reached perfection. In other words, I'm superhuman. I got it all together. But I keep working towards that day when I, find, when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. I'm still not all I should be, but I am focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us up to heaven. Paul's saying, you know what? I'm, I'm going to stop pretending that I got it all together because I don't want the shame of my past to be eating my lunch. I want to become all that God wants me to be. And I know that as I am doing that, that he is cheering me on in my race. How many of us here have ever seen one of our children run a race. I, I, I got to see one about a week ago with one of my grandchildren. You know, they, they have those things so that we grandparents shovel out bucks, right? For every lap, it's a dollar or whatever. When your kids were running that race, when did you start cheering for them? At the end of it? No. When they started it all along, hey, oh, look at that, keep it up, keep it up, all right. And when they stumbled and I saw my Grandchild, stumble. You stupid little child. How? You should be shamed. Did you do that when your kids stumbled as they, they were taking dollars out of your pockets running the race? No. You got, get up, get up. You can do it. Keep, all right, run, run, all right, all right, run. 
You cheered them on. Folks, that picture right there may be the most important truth I've shared this morning for you. That God loves you at every stage of your life as you are running the race. Not just while you're running it, but folks, also when you trip and you fall. In fact, I believe that when you and I stumble, that he's even yelling and cheering us, uh, cheering more for us. Get up, you can do it. Come on, come on, come on. For some of us, that is a life-changing truth that you need to grab hold of. If you're going to make it to the finish line and become the man or woman, there's the seventh thing. And that is you must take every step with purpose. I can honestly say when I was younger, I didn't do that. But as I have gotten older, okay, on this stick called life, gotten closer to the end, I give more thought to the steps that I take. In fact, I've had a business guy a couple weeks ago even ask me, George, how do, you, how do you manage your time? I says, well, I don't manage it through a to-do list. I manage my life through purpose. I, I know the five purposes for my life and I have things under them that I, I work on. To-do lists may be just draw you to the urgent and not to the purpose. And so I drive my life by purpose. Here's my five purposes. These are the five things I'm working on in these areas. Now, here's the deal. You don't know what end of the stick that you're on right now, do you? You may think that you got 10 years, but you may really just have 10 days. You may just have one week or one year. I don't know. But what I do know is that if you're going to make every step count, that you must be more disciplined and you must, be, you must have more self-control. Anybody who runs a race in the Olympics does things differently, don't they? They think differently. They wear different clothes. They eat differently. They sleep differently. They just don't do what everybody else is doing. And I bring this up to make just this point. You have to have purpose in every step. Paul had this. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 9, 25 and following. All athletes practice strict self-control they do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I am not like a boxer who misses his punch. Paul's saying, you know what? I'm not gonna waste my time. If I'm gonna throw a punch, I'm gonna make sure it lands where I want it to land. If I run in the race, I'm gonna make sure that every step is heading towards the finish line. Do you know how to do that? This is step two in the process. Next week, not this week, next week, we're gonna be offering that class. I would encourage you to sign up for it because you and I have to run differently if we're gonna fulfill the particular race that God has for us. Take a look at Hebrews 12, 12 and 13. Lift up your tired hands. Then, and strengthen your trembling needs. Keep walking on straight paths. Stop right there. What does that mean? Keep walking on a straight path. When you are running a race, and it's hard. I mean, I, I, I watch marathon runners, and folks, here's one thing that they don't do when they're running a race, and their body is screaming, stop, give me oxygen. Is they don't stop. 
because they know if they stop, that all that lactic acid will freeze them up like rigor mortis. They may not run, but they will walk and keep walking. And when you're running your life, uh, your, the, the race of your life, don't stop. When all hell is coming in, whatever you do, don't stop in that the miry clay. No, keep walking through it. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Keep walking on straight paths so that your lame foot may not be disabled, but instead be healed. Will you circle lame foot? What is he talking about here? Simply this, that in the race of life, folks, we all have limps, don't we? Some of us honestly have physical limps. Some of us have emotional limps, mental limps. Some of us have uh, spiritual limps. He's saying if you have a natural limp, it's better to stay on a straight path. Whatever you do, don't take a shortcut. Because it's not about transaction. It is about transformation. It is about walking through it. And as you stay on God's path, walking through it, Baby step after baby step, eventually you finish the race. And then step two, we help you with that. The eighth thing, and this is my favorite one of all, is this. Realize that what I don't finish, God will. God's original purpose for loving me for putting me in a family. And then third, helping me become like Jesus, possessing the fruit of the Spirit, will happen. And he will finish the task. If not on this side of eternity, on the next side. Look at Philippians 1.6. I'm sure that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus comes back again. And folks, what a day that will be, will it not? When Jesus comes back and we see him and it's face to face. When that day happens, I'm gonna let you know this, your mirror new neurons will kick into overdrive. And, the, and your flops, failures, and fumbles, and your limps, and your mistakes, and your failures in life, boom, will be gone like that. And you will be like him. Not a mini God, but godly. Because your eyes will be transfixed on him. What a day that will be. Let's pray. Lord, I just really thank you for Jesus. That he is our greatest fan who loves us with all of his heart. Who leads and guides us. Who seeks to influence us to become what you want us to become through your spirit. And we thank you for the teams, Jesus, for, uh, for, for your church, the body of Christ, the family of God, the temple of God. 
that you have given us that you want us to be a part of. That as we are running our race, seeking to fulfill the particular race that is on our life, that you haven't left us here alone as orphans. You've given us one another to encourage one another, to stimulate one another in love and good deeds. And we thank you for that. I just want to ask you this morning, church, where are you at with Christ? Maybe you've been running your own race and you need to run God's race for you. That starts by dropping him from your head to your heart, by allowing him to love you. Maybe you know that, that he does, but you've thought of yourself differently. God loves you. Say yes to him. Allow him to come into your heart so that he can affect your feet, to change you in a transformative type way. If you haven't done that, will you do that this morning? And just let me know. Take your communication card. Pastor George, I just asked Christ into my life. Check the box, write an A, circle it. I've accepted. Just put it in the offering basket. I just want to help you. I want to help you get to where God wants you to be. God, help us in our race. Help us to be everything that you've intended for us to be. We want to reach our redemptive potential, God. We just don't want to be loved by you. We just don't want to belong to the family, God. We want to become. You've placed dreams in our hearts, and God, we want to see them fulfilled. And so we lift this up to you, asking for your grace and your favor on our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.